Hey, V12, we have a special uh, a special edition kind of podcast thing. We don't do this very often, but, you know, we last Wednesday did the Q&A session with Garen. And you guys, first of all, kudos because you did so – you had so many great questions. I mean, so many good ones that we had to really sit with and talk about. We didn't have time to get through them all. And so what this is is a follow-up to that where we are going to answer the rest of your questions that we didn't get to and um, maybe even follow up on some of the ones that we did answer but require a little more – uh, a little more digging into. So that's that's kind of what we're doing. Um, a quick disclaimer, parents, if you're listening, and I know we've said this on email already, but there there is a, a sexually sensitive topic in this one. And so if you don't feel like your students are ready to hear that, then maybe save this one for later or you listen to it first and decide, but just wanted to give you the, the heads up on that. So we're here with Garen and, and we're going to be just kind of asking him questions that we didn't get to. And he's going to be giving us the answer. So Garen, thank you for, for being with us, man. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Had a good time Wednesday with everybody. So very cool. Well, hey, the first question that we want to ask here is, uh, man, they don't really get any easier. No. Like, these are tough ones. No. So we'll just, no. we'll just jump right in with a tough one. Garen, how do you balance a desire for others to know Christ um, but not allow that weight of those unsaved souls to crush you? Because we all have people that we want to know Jesus. So how do we balance them wanting to know Jesus without being overwhelmed with the fact that they don't know Jesus and they might not be with him forever? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, that's how it was with my parents for a long time. I mean, 30-some years of feeling that weight. Um, I think the main thing for me is, uh, man, I wish we could show them the illustration. The, You know, get online, look up the fact, faith, feeling train from Campus Crusade, but that I can't let my feelings drive my life. I have to let the facts of things, the reality drive my life, and my feelings follow. And there were times I'm like, I'm, I was so overwhelmed with the thought of my parents spending eternity away from Christ that, I just thought, you know, I, I'll just if, I'll just not even think about it. I won't try to do anything, just shove that to the side. But the reality is, is I believe the Scripture's true, and I believe in Jesus. I believe He rose from the dead. I believe that knowing Him is so important. And the reality is, is I had to set my some of those feelings aside and say, I've got to go with the facts, and this is what I believe is true, so I'm going to keep being an influence in their life. So for me, that was a big one, is to not let my feeling about it drive me, because your feelings will never take you to the right place. And... And your, fa- your feelings will follow the facts. So I didn't live there most of the time with that burden. Most of the time I felt like I prayed for him and I did what I could. So for you, it was feeling, for me, it's a bit of control. Like I want to control their eternal destiny because God isn't good enough and smart enough to do it. And so it's up to me to save them. That's kind of mm, my struggle. Yeah. Do you think okay. people come from there ever? Yeah, there's some of that too. So I think that's where to me the triangle of influence that there's me there's god and there's them and for a long time the garen was really big on that i almost put so much weight on myself that i was the main person who who changed people and i realized that actually i'm the smallest and god's kind of medium-sized that if he's not drawing or i mean he's always drawing but if his spirit's not at work i can't overcome that anyways and that really that person's response is the biggest determiner and that helped me to realize that i'm not the main change agent of people I just do what I'm called to do. God has to be at work. I can't speak in a heart. But really, it's their response, and that's up to them. And that's why I was even thinking to, re- to remember the difference between responsibility to and responsibility for. Yeah, I'm responsible to, sh- to pray, to share the gospel. I am not responsible for their reception mm-hmm. at all. And that's, that's between them and God, and I'm, I'm the least the smallest player in that equation. That's really helpful. That responsibility to your friends, but not responsibility for them. Yeah. That's really, wow, that's really good. Okay, so next question. This is equally tough. We hear this one a lot, but it's always good to hear the answer. 
how do you live in a way that honors God in the United States when we have so much? How are we to live? I think it's tough because we know we're so blessed. We see others who don't have any, and it's like, how do I, should I feel guilty? Should I not? How do I live with so much, and how do I honor God with it? Yeah, that's a great, I mean, I think we all struggle with that. So it's, guilt, again, the guilt's the wrong thing, because God is the one who's blessed us. He blessed Abraham. So if he blesses you, puts you in a place of blessing, you don't feel guilty, I don't feel bad about that. The question is, is then the fact, like, what do I do with that? Because all through Scripture, God blesses people to be a blessing, and the question is, is okay i am blessed but what am i going to do with that and that's why when i did that sermon what two weeks ago on the the widow that sentence of live sufficiently give extravagantly is kind of um that philosophy has been a guiding thing those words are relatively new for me but that that is like just live within my means and just do a lot to pass on the blessing of god to others yeah and that's, that's what I think our responsibility is. Passing on the blessing is huge. And then I think of when the Apostle Paul talks about his life. I mean, he was the ultimate. He lived with literally nothing, and he mm-hmm. lived with much. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've learned how to honor God with anything, right? So it's not about our life circumstance. Yep. It's about how we honor God with it. And right. so we don't need yep. to feel guilty for having a nice car or a PS5 or a, a nice house with a roof and air conditioning. We, we're not supposed to live in constant guilt of those things, but maybe rather ask the question, how am I giving that back to God? How am I how am I letting my stewardship of that honor him, right? Yeah. So And you've read you know, Richard Foster, we both have his chapter on simplicity for both of us was profound. And his whole thing about living sim- simply is having that ability is you have to have a simplicity of heart. So it doesn't mean a simplicity of stuff necessarily. It can be that. It's a simplicity of heart, which is the ability to will one thing, and that's God's will and God's desire for my life. I want His glory, and I want what He wants. And if I live that way, He'll direct me in how to use my blessing to bless others. And so my focus is the one thing, and that's Him. And if that simplifies life so much, and then His Spirit will lead me in how to how to use what I have for His kingdom's sake. Yeah. I think one reason Jesus speaks about He speaks against wealth so much is because He knows our proclivity to make it an idol. Like, it is so hard for us as humans to hold things in the correct order, to, yeah. to keep it, okay, God, and then all these things below it. We so badly are blessed with something, and then we let that consume our heart or our mind or our life. And so maybe don't look out for, hey, am I, do I have too much stuff or whatever, but look out for, man, how do I order these things in my heart? Because yep. if they get out of order, everything gets whacked. Yep. right. So, okay, yep. very good. Um Man, another really hard one. You guys are great at asking hard questions. This person asks, does God give second chances to people? There are times in the Bible when someone makes a mistake and is instantly punished. And this person references Lot's wife, which we know that in that story, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, and he tells them not to look back at the city. And Lot's wife turns back and looks, and she is turned into a pillar of salt. And it's like, boom, no extra chances. That was it for you, Lot's wife. Sorry. So is he like that with everybody? Why do some people get more chances than others, <laughs> yeah, Karen? That's a really good question. I think, gosh, there's so much to me going on in that story. Um, um, one thing is she had been under the influence of, of Abraham and Lot. She had been around that for several years. She knew who God was. She knew him as Elohim and Yahweh and the Creator. And she had chosen a lifestyle. And so that it wasn't like that was her just one time to hear and God nailed her. Like, she she had a lot of revelation before that, and she knew. So it, it may look like a one-time thing, but it really wasn't. To me, the larger context of that story, Jordan, is 
that story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when when Abraham finds out and figures out those two angel dudes are there because there's been an outcry from the oppressed on those cities and God's heard the outcry of the oppressed and they're going to take care of it. And then Abraham ends up having this conversation, right? He goes, hey, if there's 50 righteous, would you save it? And he says, I would. And he goes, 45 and then to 40. And he, he goes clear down to 10. And the thing I learned from that and it is, and he stopped at 10. Uh, he could have even said, would you save it for one? I think God probably would have. Is What you see in that story is God's desire is actually to save, not to destroy. So the whole context of that story to me is that God is a God who wants to save and not judge. He sent Jesus in the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. Um, but he also, you know, there comes a point in time when people have had revelation, haven't responded. And so it kind of looks like a point in time. I think there's more going on to that. And I think, to me, I wish I could show this diagram, but I'm not even going to try to explain it. But to me, Romans 1 is the main way God deals with judgment, which is actually a passive judgment. The most of the way he judges people, that says, is he lets, he lets go of the reins of my life and where I'm trying to go to, that he'll go, okay, you want that? And he lets us pursue the life that we want, and then that leads to a lot of junk and a non-flourishing. And I think most of the way God judges in Scripture actually is just letting me have the life I want, to the point, I wreck my life, and then I want to come back to him. That, um, that it's it's not just those one-off things we see in Scripture. Um, I still feel like most of those things aren't just one thing. I mean, if you look at Noah and the flood, for 120 years he preached. 120 years, the Canaanites had 400 years from Abraham, where they they knew about God and they had the chance to to repent. That. God frequently, there's actually long periods of time in those things that we don't see on the surface. And just, it looks like a, a boom, a one-time thing, but God's actually given people a lot of time. Yeah. And they haven't taken it. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, yeah. We drop in and we, we, we drop in, you're right. And we think, wow, God gave them one chance and that was it. And there's so much context to yeah. things that we don't see how many times they've had uh, opportunities to turn to God or how many chances they've had to respond to, to the good news and they have chosen not to. It's like we talked about with Pharaoh the week before you. I mean, God gave Pharaoh chances. Yep. He didn't take him up on it. And so he said, you know what? You're going to play a role in the story one way or the other. Yep. And he hardened his heart. And yep. so it's not like God didn't give him a chance. You know, he, he wants, what does Second Peter 3, 9 say? He wants us all to come to repentance, right? So, yep. And he's um, slow to... And he's slow to anger. He's yeah. slow to give us over to right. ourselves, but he'll do it if that's what we want. Yeah. So Pharaoh's a great example because I think if you read the story, the first six times Pharaoh hardened his heart. It wasn't until I think the seventh that God did it. And mm-hmm. it's that idea that, that God finally let said, okay, that's what you want, then I'm, I'm sure. going gonna, gonna to help you go that way. It's yeah. not what I want. But if that's the way you're going, I'm letting go of the reins and you can experience the end result of the path you're choosing. Yeah, so. He's not a controlling God. He's, he lets you choose what you want and it's going to play a role in the story one way or the other. Okay, four more questions. We're going to try and wrap these out in five or six minutes. Um, let's see. So we hear this one all the time. Garen, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and what makes it unforgivable? And how do we know if we've committed it? This is this thing that Jesus mentioned and it's got us turned in knots forever now because we're all like, have I committed the unforgivable sin? So Garen. Yeah, I wrestled with that for when I was a teen. I was a new believer. I'm like, oh man, did I ever, maybe before I was a Christian, I said something about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know it. And I'm going to hell and I'm not really saved. I, haven't we all been there? I think everybody wrestles with that. To me, that thing, again, to me, context is everything. And we always have to ask the question, like, what's the context? Who's being spoken to? And he's telling that to the Pharisees. 
And the Pharisees have been seeing him do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. He's, you know, he's, he's doing the things that are messianic, right? That's, that's kind of the, that's the claim. And they look at him one day and they say, uh, that's Satan who's in you doing those miracles. And it was really the Holy Spirit. And so these are people who saw Jesus in person doing miracles. And they said that the, that Satan was the one who was authoring the miracles. So I, I feel like that that sin was limited to that time and to those people, that it was specifically the fair, the religious leaders who knew the whole old Testament, who should have known he was Messiah and who saw point blank everything he did. And they just specifically said, that's the devil in you mm-hmm. doing that. And I, I think once he died <clears throat> and they died, that context is gone. And I don't, I, I don't think people can do that anymore. Yeah. I think what, I've, what I've read totally lines up with you. I would, I would suggest people who struggle with this and maybe aren't satisfied with that answer to go to gotquestions.org. It nails this one perfectly. It creates great scriptural context around it. Actually, for a lot of biblical questions, go there, gotquestions.org. That has a lot of good things to say, but I, I think everything yeah. you said is What would you add? Anything from that? No, just that, you know, um, I mean, yeah, it's not something that we have to worry about because it's not something that we're in danger of. And so I think sometimes Satan can throw that wrench into, like you said, a new believer or someone who doesn't know the Bible as well yep. or for as long and say, oh, maybe you've done this. And I've seen students get caught up on that, and it's just silly because it's, yeah. it's not for us. And the reality is— the Not point. everything in the Bible is written to us, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Not, yeah. not everything is written to us. Yeah. And— um, people who struggle with that are people who like care about God and they care about being with him eternally. And that's not who it's talking about. (laughs) Almost everybody who struggles with that, I'm like, no, you want to know God like that. That's not your heart. That's not where you're going. That's not where you've been. Those Pharisees, they never turned. They never believed. The resurrection happens. The soldiers come and say, he, man, he wrote, like these angels came, he rose from the dead. And they're like, we're going to pay you to shut it up. And here's the lie we're going to tell. They were totally obstinate in their unwillingness to even have anything to do with Jesus or believe anything. That was, it's totally different setting. And yeah, to me, if you're asking that question, that's a good sign that you're, that the spirits at work on you, not that you've left him. Mm, Right. Yeah. Because if you, if you had committed the unforgivable sin, quote unquote, and you were not able to be in communion with God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even care. Yeah, you wouldn't care. So the fact that you care about that question is a good sign that it doesn't apply to you. That's a good point. Okay. Three more. Garen, what are some ways to keep God at the center of all your relationships? Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's what you just said, the idolatry. Don't we all struggle with it? It's so easy for my wife to slip up in the first place, my children, my granddaughter. It's easy for my work. It's a constant battle of keeping my loves ordered properly with God first um, for him to be the one thing. I don't know, Jordan, for me, it's being consistently in the word th- that that just that daily walk with him is to me is number one, that if I slip out of that, other things take priority. And I think community, I think it's me being around people that are calling me to that and who that's what they're pursuing. None of us perfectly. I mean, to me, those are kind of the, the, the big ones is that I'm walking with him and I'm around people that are, we're pushing each other towards that. Yep. And I think a good visual for that, sometimes we think of our life as a pie. God is a piece, work is a piece, sports is a piece, friends is a piece, so on, so on. And in reality, God is not a piece of the pie. God is the lens. He's like the glasses through which you look at your life. And so all of these things should be God-honoring. You should uh-huh. you should view your friendships and your romances and your love for sports or technology or whatever through that lens of I am a redeemed child of God. And I, I, I view that and I, I live out my life in a way that 
that honors him. And so it's not like, oh, I got to quickly make time for God today. It's like, yes. man, everything I do is through right. the lens of God because I'm, I'm his child. He's, he's made me new, right? Yeah. Or if you take, that's a good illustration. I've also seen if you take the idea of the pie, but make it a, a bicycle wheel with spokes. And if you imagine all, how all the spokes touch the rim, and if those are all the aspects of your life, like your parents and your family and your work and your school and your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friends, and all of that stuff, your recreation. And if you just try to make God one of those spokes, like, okay, I give him five minutes, but then I run to another spoke, that you're going to live a life very disconnected. God won't be connected to the rest of your life. That The idea is more, if I imagine and try to live life with God at the center of the wheel, and that he touches every spoke, and so he's just the most important thing to me. And if I do that, then he, he'll influence my friends, and he'll influence my recreation. So, again, I don't see him as something on the edge, on the rim, as one of many spokes. I'm just running crazy to touch, but he's that center thing, and just trying to keep him there and let him influence the rest of my life. Yeah, really so. helpful. Okay, this is a tougher question. This is one that's tough for mixed company, so maybe it's best that it's actually on the podcast, but... Someone asked, um, is masturbation a sin? And so what is your... Uh, you're going to preach your next sermon on that, right? Yeah, you're gonna, well, actually, and, you're doing it. This oh, This is where me. I turn this over to you oh, and great. I ask okay. you the question. Uh, the, the first thing I would say is, is the Bible specifically doesn't mention it. And so I don't know that I could just say outright it's a sin because the Bible... There's a verse that says, you shall not do this, right? Kind of thing. Um, that's the first thing. But that doesn't mean... It is a healthy expression of, of our sexuality. We're all sexual beings, right? That's part of who we are. And so um, I'm not sure. The scripture doesn't say this is a sin, but I think we get principles that relate to it. Um, you've dealt with this a lot. I want to know, like if we banner, what Sure. What would you? So when students come to me and ask this, what I, I mean, what I can say for sure is that it is a self-centered thing. Yeah. It is not, it does not bring glory to God. It yeah. is for your pleasure and yes. not for God. It is psychologically and emotionally and mentally not good for you. Like in every study, we see that it affects the way we view ourselves, the way we view the opposite sex, our self-worth. Um, it, I mean, if, if it's done enough, it can affect you physically down the road. Like it just, it's not a good, healthy thing. Um, and it's something that's just a shortcut. I mean, yeah, God, you right. said God made us sexual beings. He did for the purpose of uniting with your spouse to, to glorify him. And this is like the cheap knockoff. It's yep. like every every sin is a cheap knockoff of a better thing. Yep. And this is just that version of that. I mean, yep. if you if you want to feel that pleasure, you're supposed to in a certain realm. But man, this is not how God intended it. And so you're making it about yourself and your pleasure and how, how you want to feel. Right. And you're not thinking about God. You're not yep. thinking about the kingdom. You're not thinking about the gospel. Um, and so it's just a very self-centered thing, I yep. think. Now, that's not to shame anybody who struggles with right. it. I think... I think most people, statistically, almost everyone would struggle with it. And we're even seeing it increase in females. And, and a lot of times it's tied to pornography. And it's just, it can be this enslaving thing. And so this is not to shame you or say, that's bad, you're self-centered, stop doing it. It's to say, hey, know that it's not right. Don't, you know, no longer talk yourself into the fact that it's okay um, and seek help. And I, I've said many times that I would love to talk to students. There are female leaders. If if there's a female listener out there who struggles, who would who would talk there, we have steps. We have curriculum to go through this. Ways to um, ways to heal you in this because it is a wound, and it, this is not a shame or guilt thing. This is a hey, you're hurting, and let's 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 look at what Jesus says and, and let Him heal you because there's a way that He can do that. Yeah, and I think this age we all struggle with. I think we're becoming more and more disconnected from real people. Like 
we text on a phone instead of having face-to-face conversations. And I think our younger generations are losing that ability to be incarnated with people. And to me, that's one of those ways to do it. It's just me by myself having this pleasurable moment, and I'm disconnected from any real human being. And that's not how God intended the sexual relationship to be. And it's a fake, like you said. It's not the real thing. And it's really unfulfilling. Everybody who does it knows that when you finish, nobody feels great about it. And yep. But then again, don't don't bear the shame. I totally agree, Jordan. It's something you need to talk to somebody about, have some close friends that you share that with, and that you're just, we're all broken. All of us are broken in our sexuality, every single one of us, and just come to the point of admitting that. Yeah. Um, Satan works so much in isolation and deception. And if you struggle with this, you know that it's an isolating thing. And he has deceived you into saying either A, it's fine, it's good for you, or B, you can tell nobody because they will disown you. And both of those are lies. If you brought this to someone who really cared about you and, uh, and knew Jesus, gosh, we would hug you, we would welcome you, we would talk with you about it, we would listen to your story. And uh, it's such a lie from Satan that you would be tossed out or whatever because... If we tossed out everybody who struggled with this, there'd be nobody in church probably, yep, right? That's you'd, right. You'd be preaching to empty seats. Uh, I wouldn't even be preaching. So, We'd all be, I mean, everybody who, you know. Yeah, everybody has, yeah, has, has struggles. struggles. So. Yep. Okay, so last question, Garen. How would you explain what a fear of God really means? Because sometimes we talk about the fear of God. It's is it like, I'm hiding from God under my bed, like I'm scared of him. What, what does this word yeah. fear of God mean? I mean, and it really, for the Jewish context in the Hebrew, it just meant to have a healthy respect of who God is and of wanting to honor him with your life. It's, um, I've heard it, I can't remember the other word, but I've heard there's two kinds of fear. There's a servile fear where I'm just in abject fear of somebody. I, I cower to them, I shake, and that's not what it's talking about. It's more the fear, again, it's respect. It's what I had from my dad. I had this great relationship with my dad. I loved him, but I had such a high respect for who he was, Jordan. I didn't want to hurt him in any way. Didn't want to hurt his reputation. And I cared so passionately about him that I just did the things that honored him. That's just what I did. It wasn't, I didn't cower. I wasn't afraid he'd come home and, you know, beat me with a belt or something. I mean, that that wasn't what it was. It was this very deep respect for him that I thought so much of him. So to me, the fear of God is I have such a high elevated view of him from scripture. And I have such a respect for that that I just want to honor him with my life as my dad. And that's that's really the, the idea behind it. And yeah, it's not a shaking, quaking kind of fear. It's just a, um, I know him for what he's really like. So to me, it's getting to know God for what he's really like and having an honor and respect for him. I think the way that you just conveyed the feel the feeling that you had about your dad growing up is exactly how a healthy view of God is with his kids, right? Like we love who he is. We want to please him. Our good deeds are not... Uh, motivated by fear of hell, but right. they're motivated yep. by this deep affection yes. that we have for him and wanting to make him proud and wanting to do what he wants, yep. right? I mean, that's like that's what it, it's like to yeah. know God as your Father exactly. in a healthy way. That's Paul. The love of Christ compels me. It's right. not fear. It's not whatever. It's just what you said. It's not fear of hell or punishment. It's that I respect him so much. Yeah. So that's our last question, Garen. Was there any follow-up that you wanted to give on something for, that happened Wednesday? Or, yeah, there was I don't know. one of the groups, you know... We, one of the questions was, like, how come Christians have so many different views on things? And we tried to, to hit that, that there's, like, these tiers of importance, right? That we, on orthodoxy, we agree on those that tier one level. But there's things in the Bible that, you know, we kind of have different takes on. Or I was, Jordan and I, were, we were talking afterwards, like, maybe I have a deep passion that God gave me for the poor. 
and maybe you have a deep passion for I don't know what what would you have it like the Rams or something or the Dodgers <laughs> I'm not but you know for the poor and maybe for you it's widows and that the because of that I'm going to focus on scripture related to the poor more than you and you're going to focus on widows and then it what it might be is I might elevate my passion like well everybody should have this passion or this view on the poor and then it becomes dominant. I think it also applies to politics. I mean, so if I have a God-given passion for the poor, um, and Jordan may, somebody else has a God-given passion for abortion and the unborn, and they're both important things, and the church needs to do both. And But what we do is we, we, we have to be willing to let you have a stronger passion than me in some areas, maybe. That, you know, don't take that too far. You can take that too far. But just to me, the idea that even if Jordan and I were talking about how do we best help the poor, he would have different policy ideas than I would. And the way we would do the policies look different. And it's just, God created us different. And it's giving each other the freedom to be like, we can both be for the poor and not agree on the best policy approaches, but that's okay. We can talk about it and we're not going to elevate it to the level that it becomes divisive. And that's what our cultures become, right? We're divisive on everything. So that's that, that was something that was asked to me Wednesday night afterwards. So yeah, I think one thing you said was, okay, if you presented to, to a group of Christians, how are we going to solve these problems that we're having in the world or in our country? I mean, people are going to have different strategies yep. and, and different strategies that they feel really passionately that they're going to work. And so it's natural that people are going to feel differently about how to go about solving problems. Yep. And the key is to not um, become so entrenched in the, the way that you want to solve the problem that we lose the passion behind it. Yes. And, and the, the right. reason we care about that is because... We are Jesus followers, yes. and we want to see all things redeemed, yes. and we want to see all things uh, brought under his rule, right? Yes. And so yep. not losing focus on that and getting so entrenched in, well, this is the law we've got to pass, right. or this is the judge we've got yep. to have, and it's, yep. it's so much bigger than that, yep. so much exactly. bigger. Jesus first in everything, right? and then the issues he cares about, I care about. We may differ on the strategy, but we all care about the big things. Yeah, so we got to totally. keep focused on the big things. Okay. Hey, Tier you mentioned one. one book on Wednesday night. Would you... I forgot what it was called. Do you remember? Was what it, it the Why God? The one that we yes, actually brought. Yeah, about the girl. Yeah. Yeah, D'Souza, um, Danielle D'Souza, I think is her name. Why the letter Y dash God? She was a teenager. Wrote this apologetics book that answers questions that her generation was asking. Short chapters. I think she does a magnificent job with a lot of that. Yeah. So. The chapters are short. They're direct. You can even look in the what's it? Is it? Is the index? It's a yeah, the table of contents the table, at the front. I don't read a lot, yeah. guys. Yeah, the table of contents in the front. You can find a question that appeals to you and read what she says about it, and she's spot on. I told you Wednesday, if you were interested in that book, I would buy it for you if you promised to read it because I think it's that good. And some of you have taken me up. So that's that offer's still good. So if you hear this and you would like that book, let me know Wednesday, and, and I would gladly get it for you. So, guys, that's that's what we have. Unless, Garen, anything else that you... Nope. That's keep, it for you. Keep pursuing. Keep yes. asking questions. Questions are great. Keep wrestling with God. Um, that's what true faith looks like. True faith is engaged. Yep. If you're not asking questions, you're unengaged. I'm worried about the unengaged people. I'm not worried about engaged people. So ask them and ask them in community and ask them to people you trust and take them to the word. Absolutely. So, Man, that, that was on my notes. So Was it really? Yeah, I know your eyesight's not good enough to steal <laughs> my notes. So that was from your heart. So. Yeah. That's exactly it. Okay, guys, thank you for asking questions. Thanks for giving us a listen. We're excited to see you Wednesday. Hope this was helpful for you.